0: Amen to that. Uh, One of the signs of life that is all around us uh, is the way the reckless love of God puts people back together. One of the things the love of God does is to remember what matters and to remember us. So quite literally, this congregation has some members or parts, right? I'm a member of this congregation. What's it called when you cut off a member? You're dismembered, right? Like, this this is a bad word. Remembered is exactly the opposite. It's when something is apart and gets recalled and drawn back in and put back together. God is in the remembering business. He puts people, he puts things back together. So over the last year, we've been trying to do our best to observe the way Jesus of Nazareth walked through the world, and to follow his example. So if you're here for the first time, like on a Sunday like today, it would be a fair reaction to think, like, I can't be like Jesus. I mean, he preached awesome sermons and he did miracles, right? Like most of us, we can't do those things. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, there will never be a sermon that awesome. Those are not the things we've been talking about. We've been talking about the way Jesus lived as a human, how he first noticed, how he asked questions of people, how he prayed, sometimes behind people's backs, how he served, how he shared, and this morning, how he remembered, literally the Son of God, God the Father gave Jesus marching orders somewhere in heaven that said, Son, I have a job for you. Here's the job. Go to planet Earth, walk with people like this, and ultimately there's a cross and an empty grave in your future, and Jesus, with his dying breath, remembered those orders from God and came back to life, remembering the promise of God that there was life on the other side of death. So on this Memorial Day, it seems fitting to walk in Jesus' footsteps and remember some significant things. In Hebrews chapter 13, the Bible gives a very uh, direct order to do exactly this, if you would read these words with me. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're going to do some remembering today. Very first word, remember your leaders. We are going to do no dismembering, only remembering. In obedience to God's word, uh, I want to use this sermon to retell for you the story of this church. It's a really great story. And to recognize and remember how the Spirit of God has been working in this congregation for decades and decades and decades through the years. I mean, if you're here for the first time today, I hope this is really interesting to you. There's some dramatic and crazy moments in this story, and if you've heard some of these pieces before, I hope this uh, kind of remembers and draws together some of the pieces of the puzzle in a way that makes you think, wow, only God could write a story like this. So in terms of the physical locations, you know, here we are in South Elmhurst today. Um, there was a number of years, uh, almost 40, that we were at 905 South Kent, this congregation just a mile from here. Before that, this church was in Bellwood. Before that, it was a gospel tabernacle in Bellwood. And even before that, it was just a family residence at 3510 Monroe Street in Bellwood. We're going to do this history in reverse chronological order. Ready? I'm going to take for granted you've been alive and awake the last 10 years and just skip the last 10 years. Okay, so the early 2000s, there were these two guys, Pastor Bert and Pastor Dave. They are still members of this congregation. Right on. (laughs) So here's Pastor Bert about the year 2000 with his hands raised in blessing. Uh, I really like this picture because Bert and Dave are still members of this congregation. This does not work for most pastors, you have to realize. like, It is such a blessing in my life and for all of us to have two humble servants who, after professionally serving a church like this, can, like, hang out here and add their wisdom without, you know, keeping both hands on the steering wheel. Uh, it It is an amazing thing that they're here. About 2008, our congregation moved to this building. Our original address here was 155 West Brush Hill Road. That is not our address today. Because a year after we moved here, Elmhurst Hospital moved next door. Guess what their address was and is? 155 Brush Hill Road. We had the same address. (laughs) This seems like a really bad idea because there's like only two addresses on this whole like two-mile stretch of road. But somehow in the uh, civic wisdom of Elmhurst, this is how it worked out. So what should a church do when you have the same address as your neighbor? You know, should you play hardball and cling to the address? I mean, we had ambulances showing up on occasion at the outside and paramedics. When I first started here, I was just waiting for somebody with a red cooler, you know, with like an organ donation inside it to come. It didn't come to that. So hopefully, out of good humility, we gave up the address. I think partly thanks to Doug Bardoff. Thank you, Doug Bardoff. Uh, So the hospital is 155. We are good Christian neighbors. We are now 149. In the early 2000s, this church started an experiment called Contemporary Worship. It's been about 19 years. We hired uh, Doug at that point. Uh, I characterize the whole last 19 years as Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church growing increasingly diverse in how we worship, and who feels welcome in how they come here, in the kind of uh, religious heritage and backgrounds, life backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds. I mean, we literally have people who are members of this congregation from every continent except Antarctica, I think, these days. Like, God be praised for that. When I think about the 2000s in this congregation, one of the most important things to remember for us is that God is a God of unity and that he is drawing a diverse family of people to himself. And we are better, quite frankly, the more diverse we get. God is weaving many, many branches back into the central trunk that is his family, the church. Here's a picture from about 1995. This is a banner in front of the old church at 901 South Kent. Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church has always been up for a good experience Experiment. So we were a congregation that had Sunday morning worship services and I think in 1995 there was this experiment to have a Saturday night service called Crossroads. I love this sign, live music. What else would there be? <laughs> drama. Hopefully not the emotional kind, right? The like actual drama presented in church and relevant topics. I don't know what was happening before 1995, but these all seem like very, like very good things. But having a Saturday night service was kind of new and groundbreaking in our denomination, the Christian Reformed Church. Uh, for the first time at Elmer's CRC, there were guitars and drums and microphones, and if you wandered in off the street, you might have the impression of like, oh, this is what the music in the rest of my life kind of sounds like. I maybe didn't expect this in church in 1995. One of the very dramatic things that happened in the early 90s was that there was a fire that damaged Elmhurst CRC. Uh, our church was actually struck by lightning, the steeple, which then burned, uh, burned the roof, part of it collapsed, uh, quite a bit of the sanctuary on the inside was damaged as well. Um, you know, there was just this massive fire at Notre Dame in uh, Paris, France, right? I mean, similar, not, not on that scale. I don't know if you happen to see the cross at the front of that sanctuary survived the fire. Not much else did. The cross that was on the top of the roof survived this fire. It is actually just outside the doors to the worship center. You walk past this thing if you walk in. Uh, so this literally, if you walk out those doors, is just on the right. Uh, and the Bible, uh, which is in the case on top of the cross, is open to this passage from Psalm 66, we went through fire and water, but you have brought us to a place of abundance. So I think for more than a year, the church was in a state of repair. This congregation met at Drury Lane for worship for a little while, then we moved to the auditorium at Bryan Middle School, just a prospect here in South Elmhurst, uh, I mean, repairs happened, and then the congregation came back in. It is good for us to remember the 90s and to remember that God's church is not a physical place. Right? It wasn't the end of the story that the church got struck by lightning and burned. I mean, this building, I mean, it's pretty nice and comfy. This is not the church. The church is not a physical place. The church is wherever God's spirit is and wherever God's people are filled up with the Spirit of God, right? We don't need a building. We don't need a nice parking lot. Those are great things to have. We don't need a pond. We don't need sweet landscaping. We just need the Spirit of God. All the rest is like frosting. All right, we're going back in the time machine to the 80s. This is when Pastor Bert and Pastor Dave came here. Uh, Pastor Dave is on the right with his wife, Janet. They're usually sitting over here. I don't see them today. Oh, Janet, hey. Dave looks pretty much the same (laughs) 35 years later. Like, whatever he is eating and doing, we all need to get on the Dave Armstrong diet. I mean, this guy is incredible. Uh, This is actually a picture of Pastor Bert and his family. In England, uh, a few years deeper into the 80s, if fire was not enough uh, in Elmhurst in 1987, there was a flood of biblical proportions. This is a picture uh, in South Elmhurst. Uh, All the cars were about waist deep in water. This next picture is one of my favorites that I could find in the newspaper. Some bros just rafting down the street in Elmhurst. Uh, Folks who lived in Elmhurst in this time, I think will remember delivering countless hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dinners, pulling out acres of carpet from people's basements. I mean, the repair, the the love, the generosity, the uh, fixedness that was needed by our whole community and neighborhood was of epic proportions at that point in time. Do you remember that passage that the Bible is open to out here? We went through fire and water. And you have brought us to a place of abundance. It is good for us as a church and as individuals to remember this great promise. Literally, this congregation has been through both uh, on multiple occasions. But you might be sitting here today feeling like, man, I'm drowning in something. Or you may feel like your mind or your heart or your life is literally a dumpster fire. If that is you sitting here today, it would be good for you to hear this word of the Lord and just claim this promise, even though you might not know how it could possibly be true right here and right now, that you are going to go through fire and water, but God is somehow going to bring you through. In the 1970s, uh, a pastor named Wayne Lies moved here from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Isn't he a dapper guy? I mean, our pastors have gotten significantly less handsome through the years, I feel like. <laughs> and I could have put up pictures of lots of other people, but I feel like I do not want to humiliate other people. I feel like I can like poke honest fun at the other pastors. Uh, so Wayne came in the early 70s and Uh, When it comes to cultural change, oftentimes the church is like a decade behind, right? So all kinds of major cultural change in the 60s, it kind of started hitting the church in the 70s. Wayne was the first pastor not to wear a robe at Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church. People who were here in the 70s look back at his arrival and will credit the Holy Spirit as using Wayne and his wife, Chris, bringing some fresh wind from the Holy Spirit to this congregation and the community. Uh, Literally in the church, I mean, this is when the charismatic movement was touching not just the Christian Reformed Church, but churches of every stripe and color, kind of a fresh awareness of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit. In the 70s, a group um, of folks who worshipped at Elmhurst CRC actually uh, left this congregation to begin a new church called Fountain of Life, which was more kind of honed in on the gifts of the Spirit, It was in the 1970s that some amazing new things from the Holy Spirit started here. Uh, Little Lambs, a ministry that has served thousands, probably tens of thousands of little kids in the last 40 years, started in the early 70s. Coffee Break Bible Study, which has helped lead thousands of people into God's word, started here in the 1970s. Did these things just kind of happen out of the blue? I don't think so. The seeds of these things already existed because this congregation has always had a heart for serving kids and helping connect people to the scriptures. But in the 70s, this happened in some pretty dramatic and new ways. When I think about the 70s, it is important, I think, for us to remember that God is a creative God, God is always breathing new life. God always has something new to challenge and grow and stretch his people. Back in the 1960s, we were a smaller church. I mean, there were a couple hundred people here at most. You can tell that people dressed a little more conservatively back then. Uh, This is Garrett Stoutmeyer. Uh, and his family. My family lived in the same house as this guy. I actually found some very old dry-cleaning slips from Garrett Stoutmeyer for his church robes and for some silk ties from Verlaire Cleaners. <clears throat> this was in the rafters down in the basement. I also found some of Steve DeYoung's old homework. <laughs> Conveniently hidden away in the rafters. It didn't look super finished, man, so... I- this is Pastor Bert's son we all lived in the same house for a while it's it's amazing when you really clean stuff out what you find from the decades past Um, in the 1960s Elmhurst CRC had directories with a fixed order of worship printed in the front cover I don't mean this in a bad way, but in the 1960s in our denomination, you could go to any of hundreds of Christian Reformed churches across North America, and the way the worship service would go, totally identical, week in, week out. I mean, there are some good things about that. You heard the Ten Commandments every week. You said the Apostles' Creed every week. You heard the same greeting from God every week. You confessed your sins every week. At the same time, it probably, if you did that every single week for your life, could start to feel a little bit rote. But that's where we were at as a denomination in the 1960s. In the 1960s, Reverend Martin Luther King himself uh, lived in Lawndale for a number of months. I mean, it was a time of uh, significant cultural and racial change, this congregation has a decades-long decades, decades long relationship with Timothy Christian School just up the street. And in the 1960s, man, there was major upheaval at Timothy. It was a complicated time trying to grow to more diverse in a culture that was struggling to grow more diverse. In 1963, this church moved from the Bellwood neighborhood to Elmhurst started building the old church in 1963, that's what it looked like when it was initially framed in. The bulletin cover for the church in Bellwood, folks were so excited in Bellwood that a new church was coming in Elmhurst, the bulletin cover was the drawing of the new church for like a year. Like, that's a lot of excitement. Like, we can't wait. Like, God has this future, God has this move for us. This is a picture of Pastor Jay DeVries with some congregants on, oh no. In the 1960s, can we go back to the other one? I'll go to the bus. I want the bus. Okay. So at the Bellwood Church, one of the amazing things that would happen on a weekly basis is that a bus would troll around the neighborhood, knock on doors, pick up kids who would want to go, and come to Sunday morning worship or come to Sunday school or come to Wednesday night ministry, I mean, there are still some older folks in our church who are in this picture. So one of my dearly beloved colleagues, uh, our executive director for seven years here, was a guy named Jack Laninga. Jack, as a young teenager, is the fourth boy from the bus driver. No, the third boy from the bus driver. I know, cute little Jack. So this bus driver, uh, his name is Mr. Cecil Sanford. And he not only drove the bus, but he led music at Bellwood CRC. Uh, I believe he directed the choir. He was an organist. And uh, I've heard a few stories about him. I mean, as musicians, sometimes we people get a little more on the emotional side. It was kind of routine for Mr. Sanford to emotionally kind of get so mm, verklempt during a song that he would just shut the song down in the middle and have, I don't know, an awkward moment of silence or a, like a, like my heart is overcome in worship moment of silence. I find this remarkable. It probably was very awkward for straight-laced Christian or people, but I think, wow, all these, these years later, just that God would have put in this guy who maybe had a very emotive, artistic sense, like 50 years ago in the church and like, This still kind of exists here in a way. I get that way sometimes. (laughs) I'm not quite yet ready to drive a bus or put on the horn-rimmed glasses yet, but I like I see myself going this way. When I think about this bus driving around the neighborhood, uh, the heart for kids, the heart to knock on doors, uh, the heart to have as many young ones involved as possible. Um, we have some old members of this congregation who will tell you their favorite thing in the last 50 years was the fact that this bus drove around Bellwood. I remember this, that in God's family, when kids are involved, everybody benefits. Kids are not just the future, they are the now. When kids are involved, they help lead and inspire those of us who are older, and it's been this way here, as far as I can tell, for decades and decades and decades. In the 1950s, in Bellwood, there was a guy named Bernard Byma who was the official first pastor. His great-nephew was one of the greeters at the door here today. I love this. I was talking to Jeff Byma just before the service. I'm looking for you. I'm not seeing. Right on, in the back. (laughs) Uh... And this is a picture of the first church building that this congregation, uh, it was built in 1949. Reverend Bima came in 1953. The church leader before him uh, was not officially a pastor, but a home missionary, like a church planter who also was a PhD. This is fascinating to me, like a guy who had a heart for outreach and was super educated at the same time. That's one of my ways of describing Elmhurst Christian Reformed Church to people who have never been here. Like, it's a very educated church, but there's like this great heart for messy business at the same time. This is very much who we are today. This is Dr. Rens de Groot. Unless you think that he looks super bookish and only smart, here's a picture of his family. Between reading books, he was able to create seven children. <laughs> this is his entire family. <laughs> Right, uh, They had a hard time making it around the west side of Chicago back in the day. So the story is that someone donated a limousine, a used limousine, to the church. This is what early minivans were, so that the DeGrode family could travel around and that that minivan was also used to start the pick-up-other-kids process that turned into the busing ministry. Isn't this awesome? All right. So prior to 1949, this church was not a Christian Reformed church, but it existed for decades. In 1949, a significant baton got handed off. Our original pastor was a woman named Catherine Tessman. She started a ministry called the Bellwood Gospel Tabernacle. It started in her house. This is her house. Uh, They added on not a rec room to the back, but a church foyer to the front of their little two-bedroom bungalow in Bellwood. Isn't this awesome? In 1949, she handed off the ministry to the CRC, built a new church, and a family with two brothers that are still here today, the Lorup family, bought her old house. Now, if you're a teenage kid and you ever think like, man, my parents are such a drag. They make me do so many chores. When the Lorup family bought that house, It had no basement. Their teenage boys spent the next year digging a basement from under the house, putting all the dirt in the backyard, and then an uncle would come by with a garbage truck, and then on Saturday, they got to load all the dirt into the garbage truck until they had a basement. Aren't your parents nice? (laughs) I mean, seriously, that is old school. Catherine Tessman, this is her about age 70. She only lived a couple years beyond this. Catherine Tessman had potentially the messiest life in Chicago. She was born in Europe to a poor, poor, poor family. Her parents were so poor that they are in public record of not being able to afford the nominal cost for their marriage license. They were so poor that her parents literally dug squares of peat out of the bog, stacked them on a barge so that people could heat their houses with them. They were so poor they did not have a horse or a donkey to pull the barge down the canal. Their parents hooked up harnesses to themselves and walked the barge full of thousands of pounds of peat miles to the market so that they could sell what they had dug out of the bog. This is how Catherine lived until age 10 when her family came to America. Does that sound like a great life? Like, I'm glad they came to America. I'm glad I live in America. My goodness. Before Catherine got married, uh, she had a child. Seven months before being married. Uh, this was not the right way to do things. This is not the. Best way to do things today, a hundred some years ago, this was not the right way to do things. Her first husband was a guy named Louis Wieringa. They had two children. Their marriage was not flourishing. Uh, they moved out of Chicago because louis's main businesses were staying away from the police and bootlegging illegal things. So they got out of Chicago to get away from the police. They made a lot of money. One night, Louis was playing cards and just lost and lost and lost. He is playing cards with this young guy with a circle over his head whose name is Albert Tessman. He lost all his money to Albert, and then Albert said, How about we play one more hand, all or nothing, and you can ante in your wife, Catherine? And Louis Wieringa said, That's a great idea. They played some more poker. Louis lost. Albert won, and Catherine moved in with Albert. This picture is about eight years after that happened. Uh, Catherine Tessman, the founder of this congregation, is the woman with the circle over her on the left side. Um, Her second husband, Albert, who's actually nine or ten years younger than her and looks quite a bit younger than her, the guy with the circle. I thought this other relative in the back, it's hard to see, he looks a lot like Jeff Klein. I mean, this other relative in the back, he's kind of got a long, slender face, spiky hair, a chin like a snowplow. I mean, he's kind of like got the smile on his face, like, hey, I'm all here. So I I, I don't know. (laughs) So I hold in my hands an extended family history of uh, Catherine Tessman's family. I mean, all of these details are in here. Catherine Tessman has like four full pages devoted to her. There is no other family member with more than like half a paragraph. I mean, she has a very interesting life. Albert and Catherine New Payne, Within a three-month period, um, Catherine's oldest son died at age 11, and then, then she lost a baby in childbirth within a three-month span. I mean, they hit a level of... Uh, sorrow, despair, grief, I mean, the likes of which hopefully we cannot understand. But God used this season of enormous pain to turn their hearts to Jesus. I do not know exactly how it happened or when it happened, but 10 years after this tragedy, Catherine is referred to in the newspaper as the Reverend Catherine Tessman designated as first missionary to Bellwood by the Epiphany Baptist Church of Chicago. Somehow in 10 years, she went from poker game grief to loving Jesus, trained up as a pastor and ordained by a church. Here's what the newspaper says. Sunday school attendance soon reached 100, severely straining the capacity of the little church-slash-home. Teachers teach their classes in the bedrooms, in the kitchen, in the enclosed porch, and wherever a few folding chairs can be gathered together. The ministry includes weekly worship services, a Sunday school, daily vacation Bible school, and visits to the jails of Melrose Park, Elmhurst, and Bellwood. I mean, this is going back 80 or 90 years at this point. This was the Holy Spirit's idea to start this church through a woman with a very, very messy life. What did she do? She reached out to kids. She started visiting prisons. They started worshiping together. I mean, all these years later, what are we still doing? Yes, yes, and yes to all of that. The sign on Catherine Tessman's home looked like this. don't know if you can quite make it out. I mean, you can see the part that says Bellwood Gospel Chapel. At the very top, it says this. We preach Christ crucified. All these years later, I also want to say yes and amen to that. Where is the spotlight of everything we do? Hopefully, it's on Jesus Christ who is crucified, and not only that, who is raised to life from the dead. Everything in this church, everything in this life, everything in your life on its own in this beautiful broken world is going to die. But everything that goes down to the grave with Jesus is coming back to life again because God is going to remember it. God is going to renew it. God is going to put it back together in the best way possible. On this Memorial Day weekend, um, after hearing this story, I would like to simply challenge you. Maybe it has sparked something in your memory, in your church memory, where you think, yeah, God has been faithful in remembering me as well. If there's a person or a season of life or a church somewhere that you could, you know, write a note to, call somebody on the phone, send a text to, and just say, you know, my heart, my mind was turned to you, like, thank you for doing what you did for me because God has really gotten through to me. Like, if even half the people in the room did that, think of all the love that they would share in the world. That's your homework. Okay, that's your Memorial Day homework. You're going to have a whole day tomorrow <laughs> without having to go to proper work. When we remember, we follow in Jesus footsteps. When we remember that we are going to go through fire and water, but God is going to be bringing us to a place of abundance, that is a good way to walk through this world. One final thought, friends. As great as remembering is, because we are uh, mortals, if you live long enough, your memory will fail. I'm starting to forget more things myself than I can keep track of. Right? This is the way our lives go. When enough generations or decades have elapsed beyond us, the memories of who we are, the memories of what our congregation currently is, the memories of this building, with enough time, all of that will fade. Right? The things that are important to us, so significant to us, burning for us today, 80 years from now, forgotten. However, no matter how much time comes, no matter how the memories of us last or don't last, there is one person who will remember everything. God remembers. God remembers you. Everything good that has ever been given to you, entrusted to you, everything that has ever brought you life or joy, every positive impact that has ever come into the world through you, God remembers all of that forever and ever, and it will take on a significance that we can only begin to imagine. And all the trouble, all the hardship, the sickness, the pain, sin. God's hands are big enough to hold that, and there is this one line in the Old Testament where God refers to his sea of forgetfulness. All of that, that is going into the sea, and it's never going to see the light of day again. Isn't that a graceful thought? That God in his love is going to remember you and everything good and everything that is going to go in the grave and stay there into the sea of forgetfulness. Blessed is the woman. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the kid who remembers him in the meantime. Amen? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the story that you have been telling through this congregation for lo these many decades. And we pray that here in 2019 uh, that you will help us be faithful for the chapter that you have for us. God, we praise you in this hour for your great faithfulness. And everybody said, amen.